0: For this episode, we'll be talking about Talking Heads, more songs about buildings and food. On the line, I have Rob. What's up? Ben. Boy, say what do you mean? And Kyle. Howdy. More songs about boo, uh, (laughs) booze. More songs about buildings and food is second studio album by the American rock band Talking Heads released on July 14th, 1978 by Sire Records. The producer was Brian Eno and Talking Heads and the genre is new wave, post-punk, avant pop and psychedelic funk. I'm going to read from the book, Jim Harrington, David Byrne and Brian Eno were a match made in art school heaven. The Talking Heads debut, Talking Heads 77. Good as it was showed the band needed to focus and Eno provided that without whitewashing the head's wild eclecticism or undermining Byrne's individual voice. The modernist cover designed by Byrne, which shows the four heads reconstructed on a grid, only hints at the experimental nature of the album. The singer's eccentric, smartly self-conscious lyrics remain at the forefront of With Our Love and Good Things but they have to elbow for space against the increasingly complex rhythm work of bassist Tina Weymouth and drummer uh, Chris France. If 77 was primarily for your head, more songs about buildings and food was equally intended for your feet as it boogied through classical minimalism, spacey disco, and African funk. The frenzy of the band's earlier hit, Psycho Killer, would materialize again with the stunning opener, Thank you for sending me an angel and burn absolutely twitches with nervous energy on artists only the tempo drops and the, and then instantly lifts for a powerful reading of Al Green's take me to the river. The band's first top 40 single, the album was a moderate commercial success more significantly it kicked off a four-year association between Eno and The Heads that culminated with 1980's Remain in the Light. That run stands as the zenith of the band's career and equals the string of albums Eno recorded with David Bowie. All right, what do we think about Talking Heads? More songs about buildings and food. Masterpiece. I really,
1: really like this album. I think this was the first Talking Heads like, full album that wasn't the greatest hits that uh, that I digested.
0: Same yeah this is a great album um it's really this is getting into that area that i have so much trouble with because you just hear these albums so much so it's hard to pick apart and sort of dive into uh having having to sort of analyze something that you've heard so many times
2: i did notice one thing uh which i hadn't noticed beforehand uh before starting this uh this fun project with you guys um the drums on warning sign sound exactly like can oh yeah they uh, <clears throat> the uh the ever so slight delay on everything oh yeah oh, that that yeah. delay absolutely that's fucking can dude th- this is Excuse yeah th- th- this is a this is an absolute uh masterwork of, of theirs and like coming off that sophomore slump of the first uh <laughs>
1: How was the first album <laughs> how's their
2: debut album "A Sophomore <laughs> slump? You know what I mean what?
1: What they, 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 they're what?
2: bucking the trend of the sophomore slump with this is what I meant to say
1: absolutely. Uh-huh. I think the decision to go with Eno was a good decision. and I think that Eno's direction of the band was the perfect to like I, I really like seventy seven but it feels like more songs is where they really start to sound like you know, the talking heads of the 80s. And I, I think that is, you know, the the just in intent and focus on the uh, like the, the rhythm section, the bass and the drums just being. And like David Byrne, like it's not taken away from him. He's still doing his, his vocal thing. Uh, the guitars are really clean and really catchy and really quirky. But the rhythm section on this record just makes your butt move. And yeah. Talking Heads are very good at that and uh, i i don't know how much credit that you can give to eno for that but based on listening to 77 it did kind of help them find that part of their sound
0: i think you're right i think the 77 was a bit of a rough uh rough around the edges still great concepts but you, but p- this one puts it all together you're right it the crispness of those drums uh, guitar, you know, everything and the production of it is really, really good. Under a different producer it might not have been so unique and been so it, it's strange. It feels polished but experimental at the same time with like you were talking about on the warning signs. There's just that slight delay on the drums. There's just these little elements that I think people like Connie Plank were picking up on and um, and probably didn't hurt that Eno had done these experiments uh with Bowie in in Berlin to sort of refine uh those elements and bring it into a an avant sort of pop band like talking heads. I think it him and Byrne seemed to it, it makes perfect sense to me in some way. Mm-hmm. They were they were both heading in into this. Uh, direction but burn obviously is on the uh what would you say world music rhythm funky element where eno is going they're sort of like crossing paths his next album i think will be uh music for airports so you have Mm. these he's about tonality and sound where burn is about uh rhythm and avant lyrics and things and yeah makes it's awesome uh that write-up also mentioned that these are minimal sort of minimal spacey disco i thought that was kind of very unique i hadn't thought about these songs being minimal but having that preciseness the sort of craft work element it does kind of feel more like a feels more minimal than i thought it
3: well, I think, um, I mean, it's still a small band, you know, compared to other stuff in the seventies, you could have 12 people on stage. Or other stuff you know, from later get,
1: in the talking heads career.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> See how you know, they could be kind of stripped down compared to what else was coming out in 78. They got people dancing.
0: Mm-hmm. The, the tonality too, you can hear each individual, you know, item almost, it, I don't know how to how to explain it, but it does sound very precise. And maybe that's maybe that's what the talking heads needed from 77, which is a little more rough mm. Them coming straight out of CBGB's playing the circuit into this more uh, controlled environment.
1: All of their tones are always clean, too. There's never anything fuzzy or distorted, it seems, in talking head songs. The guitars are clean, like the keys are clean. The bass is clean. It seems like that's just part of their sound. So then, then like Eno kind of like pushing the the the, the clean and tidy aspect of the funk. I, I think it, it. I don't know. It was. It, it seems like it's just making the most out of kind of an aesthetic that they had already kind of identified with themselves. You know.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Ben. If I can build on that, I'm thinking yeah. of like Devo's first record produced by Eno. I mean, I don't want to say he like shaved their hard edges off but he kind of did you know in the studio crisp drums uh you've got the really meticulous i mean it's sort of a meticulous studio sound but not in the same way we think of like records today you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. comes in and kind of feel for these songs that would sound a lot different live at cbgb's or in, you know any other club and a good combination
0: i always love uh found found a job after the girls want to be with the girls like how found a job comes in on i think it's like the second beat or something like that i'm just, so
1: happy you brought that up because I, I wanted to bring it up too yes found, found a job might be my, my favorite record my, my favorite song on the album but yeah that just going Same. from the last note of girl wants to be with the girls into found a job just that transition it, like that's like my favorite second and a half on the whole record and nothing even <laughs> happens
0: <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it just it feels so natural and all of a sudden you're like oh I'm in a different song now it somehow
3: damn that television yeah steel drum at the end of this song I didn't look it up well well at the end of the song is it a steel yeah, drum yeah.
1: I would have thought it would have been some kind of patch but uh it could be
3: I love this song so much
1: it's is it anyone else's favorite song of the album? I think this is my favorite song of the album.
0: It's close. It's close. It's the one that I I, I find myself singing a lot.
1: Love it. It, it. If you're not familiar, you know. I guess uh, I, I read an interview where, where like, according to Freud, what what a person needs to be happy is love and work. And so, like, like th- this song. It's uh, the first verse. It's a couple that's like that squabbling. They can't find anything on TV. The reception's bad. That they're having the same petty little arguments they have every night. And then they start to. They decide they don't need the to watch the TV. It, they should just make what they want to be on TV and they start collaborating on this TV project. She's in the bedroom, you know, uh, oh, I can't think of the line now that I'm listening to the song. Uh, like he's out on the streets it against God for location. Yeah. They're, they're enlisting all their family. They're enlisting yeah. all their friends. It's such a happy story of these people that are kind of in a rut. They find something they both like yeah. working on. They get productive together. They enlist their family and friends, and everyone is happier at the end. It's a very, the, very David Byrne short story. <laughs> oh, and it's
3: a big hit.
1: Yeah, there might be a spinoff, it's but they don't know about that yet. <laughs> <laughs> they keep that groove going, but they, they there's that that synth melody, bomb, bomb, bum bum bum. I can't sing ah. it while I'm listening to this, but it's just like a, just a sparse melody laid over the top of the groove they've already laid down and it's, it's I love it so much. It's just frosting on a
3: delicious cupcake.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that that that's Eno's contribution.
3: Yeah, right?
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. It's
3: totally. it's perfect. It's a perfect song.
0: Uh how do you guys feel about the cover? Take me to the river. Ooh.
1: But oh, I thought you meant the cover of
3: the album.
0: Oh, well, yeah, that too.
3: Uh the, the Al Green cover?
0: Yep. It was a big hit for them. Al Green cover back to back with it.
1: Uh, the Al Green version back to back with the Talking Heads version. Yeah, I haven't, but I'm a big fan of both versions of the song. Uh,
3: David Byrne's a- vocals kind of replace like the horn section on the Al Green song. You're right. Yeah, subtle. I didn't. There's a lot of things that I didn't think about until I listened to them back to back.
1: I think also, they did a great job uh, with the cover. I think you know to 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 unearth a trope that we've used before. They absolutely elevate the
3: source material. Yeah, Big Mouth Billy Bass.
1: Yeah,
2: was that the song you sang? Yeah, that is the song you sang. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I think he, I think the one my dad got for Christmas uh, had the Talking Heads version on it. Oh and nice, not the Al Green one. Do you
0: think they made money off of that? Do you think
2: uh, well, I think they well, did? I, I think the Al Green estate got paid. Oh okay, yeah, I hope so.
1: <laughs> so as for the the visual album cover, I think that it might be in my top five of all time.
3: Okay. the album great. cover
1: of this album I've always loved it uh Birch you said that David Byrne designed it which was news to me but I'm not surprised I know that the the photos were taken by Jimmy Desana who was like an East Village uh photographer working like the punk scene if you're not familiar with it it's really cool it's a uh, 529 Polaroid pictures. It's a photo mosaic of the band. It's like the band's laying on a black background and the photographer just goes and takes a picture, moves his camera a few inches, takes a picture, moves his camera a few inches, and then pieces it back together. So it's all all these images that are all details of the same image from a slightly different perspective because the camera moves and it's a different time. So in that respect, it definitely has an affinity with cubism it's showing multiple perspectives of the same thing at the same time, which I think is really cool from like an art school perspective. Uh, It really reminded me of the work of uh, uh, the artist, David Hockney, who he was, he was a painter and a printmaker and, and eventually he got into photography and he, he did a lot of similar photo mosaics with uh, like 35 millimeter and with Polaroid and, I had always thought that the talking head album cover was an homage to Hockney until today when I was reading up on Hockney's page and it th- he hadn't started working in that format yet. He started doing those uh, photo montages around like 83.
0: Yeah. Er, yeah, Early eighties. Mm-hmm. So, so
1: if anything, this talking heads album cover inspired a world renowned artist of the 20th century, David Hockney.
0: Yeah. I, I thought the exact same thing. I had actually had originally thought that Hockney did the album cover because it, it's so similar to a lot of his Pol, Polaroid uh, images. But yeah, I had always thought the the cart before the horse. Yeah. But that's yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, wonderful co- cover too. I think it also. Uh, it's hard to show what this band is is doing musically. I mean, you always want the art to sort of represent what, uh, what the band is, is presenting. And I think this does a very interesting element, um, where they're precise, but it's artistic. So you have these, the, this sort of grid pattern with that sort of preciseness, but also with David Burns, whacked out lyrics, surreal lyrics and things. it, It, it feels more, all over the place so yeah wonderful cover
1: if you ever find yourself at the rock and roll hall of fame in cleveland they've got all 529 polaroids set up actual size on a wall it's like 10 feet tall 10 feet wide it's really cool
0: yeah
2: i picked up this album and uh remain in light at uh Ooh. Yeah, I got them both at uh, Unique for 99 cents a piece. Oh, was one good, of the best great scores score. On I vinyl? Yeah. Yeah, on vinyl. Uh, that's awesome. I have, to, I have
3: to interject, Ben, talking to Claire about this album uh, this week, and I was like, oh, I have this on vinyl. I bought it off Ben at one of his moving away garage sales. Oh. I sold. Wait, it was sold... so warped, I couldn't play it. <laughs> that's why I sold it. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So, at the same sale, songs from the big chair so warped it wouldn't play. Oh, All
1: you gotta do, you know, you put it in a plastic bag, uh, put a few books on warped? it, s- set Uh-oh. it out in the sun. Yeah, no, Uh-oh. you set it out in the sun.
3: This is fake news.
0: No, oh, I ben. believe I sold
1: those for a dollar each because they were warped.
0: Oh, Ben! It's basically it,
1: it, it was a wall hanger, man. You frame the cover. It's your
0: sister, bro.
1: <laughs> I wasn't selling it to her. I had a garage sale that she swung by. You, you literally do?
3: sold them to her. You get yourself,
2: <laughs> get yourself a couple of uh, mm. the glass panes, and you yeah. put the record in between yeah. the panes, and then you put it in the oven and you bake it. For about three minutes at I think 325 degrees, and then Mm -hmm. you take it out and you don't touch it for like ten minutes, and then you Mm -hmm. open it up and you see if it works. It should work. And and you're going to ruin a lot of records that way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Practice with ones you don't like first.
2: That's how I I I ruined my copy of John Cale's Fear trying to do that. Like oh no, when when the uh, the lockdown first started, yeah, because it simply would not play the first two tracks, and now it plays nothing.
1: To be fair, were you doing the warped
3: record oven
2: challenge?
1: (laughs) The only reason I would have sold a copy of more songs about buildings and food is if it didn't play very well. And if it did play well, I wouldn't have sold a a, a copy of more songs about buildings and food for a dollar.
0: Caveat (laughs) emptor, uh, yeah. I think, I think probably better than that, though, is a heat gun if you had a heat gun. I bet with two pieces of glass, it would work better than an oven. Yeah, we can just listen to my copy. We'll be okay. Thanks. Yeah.
1: Oh, so you, you, you've got extra copies now.
0: <laughs> but they could have two copies. They could, they be, could, have two. could be doing a mix. You can put it on the ones and twos.
1: This is what, 12, 13
0: years ago? <laughs> still bitter. <laughs> yeah.
2: It still stings.
1: <laughs> I had forgotten I'd ever... I, I did not remember ever even selling a copy of that, and as I don't own a copy of it, I couldn't imagine ever selling a copy of it, but with the rest of your story, yeah, that checks out.
3: It was like uh, that Red Hot Chili Peppers (laughs) song Warped.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Boo! (laughs) Boo! You're laughing so much. I'm, I'm just gonna break in here and say it is crazy how every single person playing on this, like, their voices are so distinctly heard on this recording um yeah it's crisp and yeah the the interplay between the drums and the bass on this is so freaking good and with how clean it is like you hear just how like crazy articulate everyone is on it and it yeah it's it's so cool man like everyone did a great job i just want to I want to send them all a note and be like, guys, good job. You really did it. Yeah.
1: Do you think that any, like, university, like, music history student has written some kind of thesis on uh, married rhythm sections
3: and whether they're high traditional rhythm sections?
2: Ooh, that is interesting.
3: (laughs) You know, what I haven't looked into is, like, Tina Weymouth, like, I know a lot of Talking Heads fans, like, hate her. What? And I don't know if that...
1: Yeah, it's true. I don't
3: know... (laughs) Uh, no, no. Well, well, first off, Tom Tom Club is fine.
1: Second off. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, fi- it's fine. Well, gonna it's fine.
0: We're going to get Tom Tom Club in this book, so we'll talk about At it the, later.
1: Th- that song, that song alone, as a one hit wonder, I believe is worth that record. I don't know if it, d- d- it belongs in this book. I don't know if the whole record is crucial listening.
3: But like that no song alone you just said
1: no, no, no. Tom Tom Club. Yeah, uh, yeah. I forget the name of their song that became the sample for Mariah Carey's fantasy. Genius of Uh, Love. Genius of Love. That song is fantastic. Except for Chris Prands just randomly shouting James Brown occasionally. I don't I can't get behind that. James Brown. James
2: Brown! James Brown. Which one of these guys did one night in Bangkok? Murray Head. Murray Head.
3: Is it Murray Head? Hey, you remember Giles from Buffy? Yes. His brother. His
2: brother wrote that song. Was he
1: also in Talking Heads? Does he just have the last name of Head?
2: Oh, that—that's where I got him. My bad, guys.
1: before we before we sign off uh i'm pretty sure we're positive the big country is a really cool song and i think that we should mention it uh big country is cool it's cool i think right it is ironic well the the verses are talking about the verses are talking about all the good things that happen in rural, rural america like places for kids to play plenty of food on the table just like yeah, the, the, living in the big country and how pastoral and nice it is, and then it goes directly into the chorus of, I couldn't, li- I wouldn't live there if you paid me. I wouldn't live there if you paid me to. And I, I just, and it's such a pretty song musically. I, I really like the juxtaposition of the tone of the verses versus the lyrical tone of the chorus. I think it's a really effective David Byrne statement.
3: Who I know. Yeah, it's be- he. He belongs in the city. Well, he's a city on boy. the narrator. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, not only that, but I think if, if if David Byrne is speaking as himself, you know, I've seen if you've seen true stories, you know, like his kind of his opinion of rural America, though he admires it is not for him, kind of comes through in that movie. I mentioned uh, uh American Utopia earlier than this uh, in the end credits of American Utopia it's it's David Burns David Byrne is leaving the show and he puts on a bike helmet and gets on his bicycle and he bikes home from the show he's just he's such like a he's a he's a New York City guy everything that he needs and wants is in that city and I think he has no desire for this so-called good life in the country. I think that's his personal statement. I could be wrong. I just think uh, he's City Boy Burn. You don't like that movie? No. Oh, I love that movie. What about John Goodman? What about Pop Staples?
3: Yeah.
0: Mm. <laughs> oh,
1: Kyle. <laughs> hey, 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 the other two of you, have you seen True Stories? Yeah, I
0: love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm split. It's, I didn't love it, but
1: I think it's a better movie than album.
0: Yeah, that's probably true.
1: I would really like the album if it was the recordings from the movie of the different characters singing the song. I don't dislike the talking heads playing the songs that the characters sing in the movie, but it's just not the same effect for me.
2: Yeah. I've always wanted to try to get the karaoke version of that actually going where everyone just runs up and sings a line and then runs off the stage. And
1: was that like wild, wild, wild life or something? Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Rob, didn't that happen at your wedding? I don't know what happened at my wedding. I think I, think <laughs> I got married. And someone drove me home. And me and Sheila home. It was, It was. That was cool. I had a. I had a great time.
1: Kyle, in your in your opinion, because I think we're just a, like we're of different opinions on this, and that's fine because it's open to interpretation. I'm sure David Byrne would agree. In the song "Big Big Country," do you think that he is? the narrator is a character that's not David Byrne, or do you think that he's singing from the heart?
3: No, I think the former is true. I think he's singing he's it uh, from the perspective of a flawed narrator. I don't think he believes uh, what he's writing in that song. I think beauty, but it's lost on him because he's a city slicker. That's what I got from this song. Okay. It's like beauty in front of him, but he, he can't appreciate it because it's not what he's from.
1: That's fair. I get that. I guess I think that maybe it's, Maybe it's 1978, David Burden's opinion as well, but I could absolutely be off base on that.
3: Oh, I could too. That's just that's just what I got from it. Because I'm like, no, th- this, it's a really weird position to take for the last song on your record. It's like, I love fuck this it. beautiful country. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I actually,
3: I, I I love this as a closing song. That surprises me, Ben, because I know that you love camping and
1: I do. out in the country. I do, but I also love uh, music, and I think this is a fantastic song even if I don't necessarily agree with the narrator, I like the story that it tells. And more so than that, I really like it musically. Uh, This song I think is musically a standout on the rest of the album. It's not necessarily a mid tempo, uh, like angular funk song. It's closer to like a country song, if anything, but it's definitely got like new wave stylings. But uh, no,
3: I agree a hundred percent. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And it is, it is in the styling of like a country song, but it's also like <laughs> "fuck these country people" and I want to go home.
1: I, yeah, yeah. I, Times and and in that, I think it's a I think it's a great song, even if I don't necessarily agree with the narrator. I I I, I see the narrator's perspective, and I get it. And more than that, I think it's a, a just a, a very well written song.
3: All right, can we take a vote? Who thinks this is ironic?
2: I'm going flawed narrator. I don't I'm think it's
1: ironic.
3: Flawed narrator,
0: which is ironic.
1: All right, my don't my, don't my vote is testimonial.
0: <laughs> okay, Test- testimonial. Yeah, I can see that.
3: Okay, because it's a it's an achingly beautiful song, but the beauty's lost on the
0: narrator. That's these boys say. What do you mean? All right, next time we're going to talk about Buzzcocks, another music in a different kitchen.
1: Fucking finally. I sure. like that record. Yes, it's a good record. Let's listen to it all week long and then talk about it. I see the shapes.
3: I remember thumbnaps. I see the shoreline. I see the